everyone sort of looks, as soon as it's sunny outside, there's a spring to the step that we're all doing. We went into the city yesterday and it was just bonkers, the amount of people. And I was, I was suddenly became super grumpy. I was like, get out of my way. And I was like, oh, no, I'm so unaccustomed to busy city sidewalks. Um, but anyway. Um, my name's Tamsin. My pronouns are she and her. And it's lovely to see you um, this lovely day. We are... Um, in a series, somewhere in the middle, some, somewhere, somewhere in the middle of a series um, on radical humility, radical hospitality and radical gratitude um, and kind of looking, just using this as a lens for which we can explore some ideas together and, um, and hopefully learn something about ourselves, about one another, about God um, and life together that we didn't otherwise get a sense of. Um, can hear something fizzling in the kitchen. Um, we, uh, Rod kind of came across a, he's a philosopher of religion who sort of came up with these ideas as sort of kind of ethical foundations to our our faith um, that we might find somewhere, um, creating a bit of a uh, what's that scaffolding, I guess, um, of how we find our ethics at the heart of our our faith, um, and came up with this. Rod rephrased it, which we. Um, I think Matt will help me. Are you able to? Oh, oh no. Nope. Um, um, the I need you, um, you need me, and we're both dependent on each other's gifts. So kind of weaving humility, hospitality and gratitude um, in this idea of all these little angles that we can look at through this Um and today, I guess, I just wanted to sort of pause and sort of step back a little bit about this whole statement and just recognise um, how different a take each of us, when looking at this, will come to um, when we talk about hospitality and what we offer to one another and the gifts we offer. Um, it's as different and varied as people on earth um, and we listening to the invitation of hospitality will also be as different and as varied as people on earth. Um, and oh, I think we've talked a little bit about how the, the sense of obligation of come to church on a series on hospitality and there will be someone up here telling you how to, you know, be a better neighbour and have more people over for dinner and find some some people who are less fortunate somewhere and somehow be better towards them. You know, this kind of cookie-cutter sense of, oh, what does hospitality look like? Um, but it's just so varied in, um, as I think of, even in this room of how we are able to share our gift in the world. It is very, very different. Um, and uh, I've been listening or thinking of listening and reading about Parker Palmer. Have any of you sort of you've all heard of the name Parker Palmer? Um Parker Palmer is a, a writer and sort of is connected to the Quaker community in the States. And um, he really looks at that your life, kind of looking at your life to teach you where you're about to go next, um, that there's, there's information and wisdom to be gained from examining where you have come from. Um, and uh, he talks about humility rather than you know, we should all be more humble as just, oh, I've encountered in my life my limitations and in there I've discovered the need for someone else um, or something else or um, that I'm just aware that I cannot be everything in my own self. 
Um, but he had this little story that I thought, just as we uh, touch on maybe the idea of calling or vocation to both humility, to, to hospitality and to even gratitude, the invitation before us, um, he was at a stage of his life needing deep guidance um, and what to do, sort of that urgency, you know, that frenetic urgency when a decision is before you of what to do. Um, and in the Quaker community, it's beautiful, gentle, quiet, listening, spiritual, discerning folk who said, um, uh, I'll just find my little, that, um, you know, we, we just have to listen and wait for the path to unfold before us. And he was just like, this is ridiculous. There's nothing unfolding before me. Um, you know, I'll, I'll better wait some more. And again, nothing seeming to unfold before him. And he um, he decided to consult with an older Quaker woman from the community, sort of a wise a wise council. And she shared that in 60 plus years of living as a Quaker in the community, a way has never opened up before her. She continued with a knowing grin. But a lot of way is closed behind me, and that has had this, that has had some guiding effect for me. Um, and yeah, I think that thought had sort of stuck with me. And I got a little picture, and then I realised, hey, it's got a it's got a watermark that I didn't see in my sort of just uh, I've stolen it from somewhere. <laughs> Let me acknowledge who I've stolen it from. Um, but just this sort of thought of our calling and invitation forward um, is also marked by sort of a quiet closing behind us um, of things that did not work out um, and avenues of our lives that we haven't taken. Um, wisdom comes with looking at sort of the direction of closure, what it means, because sometimes it's it's imposed on us, sometimes it's from injustice. Um, so that's, But sometimes just the closure is the path that is not the right path for us um, as we discern how we do hospitality, how do we give our gift, what our gift is. I find it deeply reassuring to think of um, my limits, um, not as things I need to really pull my act together and fix, but sometimes my limits are just my limits and I need someone else in that place. That is what I'm not good at. That is what I shouldn't be doing. That is whom I shouldn't be with. That you know, this is these are my the story, my path of my the closures in my life, um, and this is who this this small path here is who I am, what I can give. Um, but yeah, a, an interesting conversation with you all might be, what what has life closed from you, you know, in your path, and how has that helped you navigate what is open before you? Um, Anyway, that was just a thought I had when I'm talking about sort of this idea of humility as recognising our limits um, as, and also helping us discern our gift that we give to each other. Um, and we'll kind of work a bit more about gratitude of just recognising this interplay between what I have to give and what I, I, I need to receive um, and that appreciation of this, this kind of web around us um, yeah, gratitude is not just be grateful for it all, but let's pause and see what is happening, who is giving what, who can offer, who can work in, in a care profession, who can't, who can give of their, their presence, who can give of all sorts of things and who can't. Um, and I appreciate that in my, my other and my family around me. Um, in light of all of that and me 
just appreciating the diversity of stories in our room and in our community about what hospitality has looked like, how you've given things in your life, how you've landed on what is your gift to give and what is your path that was not yours to take. Um, we uh, wanted to have a chat with Amanda, who's in our midst. Um, Amanda, for those, Amanda doesn't always offer up everything that goes on in your week. Um, I was talking to John recently. He's like, there's always more going on with Amanda than you would ever pick. He's just, the more he got to know, he's just like, there's always more. He's like, you'd never pick it. You'd never pick it. Um, but um, I, what was that? This is a true crime. I know she, nobody would have suspected her. Um, no, I'm not about, I'm not accusing you of murder, Amanda. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, we just thought, like, as we're looking at hospitality um, and as we recognise what we give, um, what we can give, um, it just looks so different for all of us um, and just the appreciation of who's in our midst. Um, we would love to hear a bit more from Amanda about her life and how she's found a gift to give and what's not hers to give. Um, so I'll get Amanda to come. We'll sit on the stage, which feels a little bit like, I don't know, a, a big church conference or something a bit that we don't normally do. So I'll move this out the way. Um, we'll try and keep it a, away from as much church conference as, as possible. Um, hello, others. <laughs> um, so I just helpfully sent some 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 questions to Amanda um, that we can jump around from and. Um, and we thought we'd start with a question that should be on there um, that comes from the lovely Krista Tippett um, from the On Being podcast, which is always a, li- a nice way to learn a bit about someone. Was um, sort of what was the spiritual, um, the spirituality that you grew up with, and kind of where has that, how has that formed into your spirituality today? Um, this is on, yep. Um, so. Eastern suburbs, absolutely um, brought up in the Uniting Church and um, eldest eldest of three. So um, if you can imagine the good little girl, um, never, tried, never wanted to do anything wrong and um, therefore stuck around the Uniting Church when all the other people my age dropped off and so I found myself... Um, Right, you know, 17 or 16, 17, sitting in pews with a whole lot of older people. And there were a few slightly older people around the 20s and they invited me into their sort of Bible study thing. And I was... The thing that got me back then was these people just go to church on Sunday and they don't do anything. Like, they... um, why they call themselves Christians, you know. So my sort of rebellion um, in teenage years was actually wanting to be more Christian Um, and ended up going on a, like, a beach mission church camp, which many of you will be familiar with, um, and that just got fueled, you know, the fire to actually be, um, to somehow make you, you know, have a faith that was working out in your life. I wanted I wanted that um, for me, but I didn't, wasn't quite sure how that was going to emerge and uh, ended up um, going to RMIT and meeting someone at a church, uh, you know, a Christian uni thing. Um, met this fellow who 
obviously um, had, it just felt like a kindred spirit and this was like I'm 20 and we're married by 21. Um, so he was my ticket out of the eastern suburbs um, and, and yeah, it certainly, uh, <laughs> it was proved to be true. We didn't stay long in the east. east. I'm back there now, but anyway, that's another story. Um, so, um, I t I, like I'm an introvert, so although I work in hospitality and um, I don't, it doesn't come easily. I don't have people around a lot. Um, and and then if, even back then, like I had this sense of call, yeah, I want to do more. But there was one key time where I was driving. Um, we were living in Dalesford, and I was driving to Ballarat, and I passed a couple of guys hitchhiking, and there was something inside that said you should pick them up. And I thought, of course, I'm not going to pick up hitchhikers, you know. So went to Ballarat. Um, used the public toilets, there was someone, a young girl there that had some sort of fit or something. Well, I'm not going to help them. I have no idea what to do. I just left it to everyone else and I walked, left. And then as I was driving back out from Ballarat, I saw the faces of these guys and they were people that I knew. And I was sort of waiting, it was like the cock crows, you know, I was just waiting for the third incident, incident of... You know, you call yourself a Christian, you say you want to do this stuff and then, you know, things happen in front of you and you don't do anything. Um, so there was um, this conviction but not actually, you know, wanting to help and not actually doing anything. Um, so obviously you've sort of found... Yeah, going to uni and sort of having this kind of a calling of some... this prompting to do this work, practical work. How did you kind of come about to, to doing it? Like, was there some doors that shut for you in those sort of early years? Or? Um, yeah, the things that you said just before were really... Um, uh, could really relate to. So the first... Um, my husband and I ended up um, in Portland. Um, at that stage, we had two little kids. We had a house... And he was an environmental health officer. Um, and we knew that we wanted to do a bit more with life, but um, we didn't quite know when. We didn't know where. And one day he just came home and said, I just can't do this anymore. Um, I've had a complaint from, you know, um, a ratepayer that there's dog poo on the footpath. And, you know, for him it was like there are, you know, as an environmental health officer, there are so much need in the world for people to work, um, to be fixing, you know, sewerage, disease, whatever. And then, you know, as white Australians, we're just worried about the dog poo on the footpath. So that led to six months of soul searching and a bit like you were saying with the Quakers. Back then, we were very, you know, very prayerful about everything that we did. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And then we had a call from our old pastor back in Hawthorne that said, oh, we're, we'd heard about this house that the church had taken on um, and we knew that um, it was a place for homeless people, an old boarding house, 
Um, and it was a very much a mission of the church. The people barely got, the people that managed it barely got paid, but you lived in and um, you provided breakfast and dinner. Um, you know, you had to go to the market, you had to care for these people. There were 38 people that lived there. Didn't really know much about it other than that. And so the pastor, in his wisdom, said, I don't want you to come and have a look at it. I want you to pray about it and then you can say yes or no. So, <laughs> so we prayed about it and we um, felt like we should say yes. And I've, so we did. Um, and at the t- like it was, it was one of those situations where, do you want to show the photo? Yeah. When you walk, so my husband was very much into architecture and beautiful things, and I guess the pastor knew that if we walked in, drove drove into the driveway and looked at that, that we would suddenly say yes. So he had built this picture of, I mean, my imagination had this house with green slimy walls and... um, just, I didn't really know what I was going into, but it was sort of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest image in my head. Um, that's the front. Round the back of that, there's 29 rooms, and they're all tiny little rooms. The people have a shared bathroom. Um, the, there's a kit, commercial kitchen. There's a dining area. Um, but the mansion there is divided into nine flats, and, and we lived in a two-bedroom flat with our two kids. Um, so is that the head of... That, was that the question? Yeah. Um, we ended up um, staying there for um, four years and then um, um, were part of an intentional Christian community out in Lansfield and then ended up in the Northern Territory working on... Um, uh, working in Arnhem Land for about five years and then Darwin for 10. So I spent that 15 years working with um, the Jungle people of East Arnhem Land. Even when I was in Darwin, they were the, they, lots of people lived there and that's, that's what I did. Um, and by then we had five children. Um, at, and then my, um, my husband was killed um, and so I suddenly found myself um, without the soulmate, without the person to, you know, partner with and reflect upon and decide what do you do, you know, where are we going, what amazing adventures are we going to go on, um, who are we, you know, what, um, who will we serve because it was always our passion to serve and so it all had to then be um, suddenly it was my role to make those decisions, which um, obviously when you get married at 21 it's, and things are joint, it was a huge, um, huge mental adjustment. Um, and then I had the five, five teenage kids in the mix of it. And so I hung around and Darwin for a few years and was still um, working in a college with adult Indigenous people. Um, but my youngest, and sorry for those that already know this story, um, my, the, some of the younger kids were starting to um, go, yeah, well, Darwin's Darwin. Um, 
and so I decided that it would probably be a good thing to go come back to Melbourne and get some family support for the um, for the 14 year old and that was fine great idea but what on earth was I going to do because when you work with um, the people of the Yungle people I couldn't see how those skills could transfer down back down to Melbourne and I had no idea what I was going to do and so I thought I'd go back to my original thing and back in this is 2009 um, you know I could open a coffee shop and Melbourne back then didn't actually believe it or not didn't have that many coffee shops um, so I would have got in at the right time but so I was really really traveling down that path and but one morning I was driving to work and listening to Radio National and there was a program, um, just a little feature on a new program to help homeless street people down in Melbourne. And, you know, it was one of those moments where I got to the car park, it's still going, I just sat there to listen to that program, went up the stairs to my office and just had one of those light bulb moments where you think, coffee shop, you've got to be kidding, aren't you stupid? You know, what your passion is, is back what you were doing back in the late 80s um, and it's it's about serving people and it's about, sorry, it's about homeless people. Um, maybe you could do something there. So I rang the church again um, and just to find out what was still going on with this place and sure enough, um, they were needing a manager to live back in there um, I asked if they'd consider a single female this time and it's so hard to get people that, to do this job. They said yes. <laughs> um, when it was just a very small organisation, you know, I only had to convince one person. Um, and so I ended up back there and uh, was there for quite a few, yeah, about four years and then became um, operations manager and now I'm CEO there. Amanda, that's, I appreciate Thank you for your, your vulnerability there um, in sharing that with us. Um, it's a big big life you've lived. Uh, John, John, John was right. <laughs> John was right. Um, uh, can, maybe um, for those who don't know a lot about community housing, what does that actually kind of look like? Um, what the model that you kind of live and work with now? Um, yeah, I... I appreciate that a lot of the people in this room already know um, a lot about the type of people that we would be housing. Um, so people that are on job seeker, people that are on um, disability, pension, people, even some people that are on aged care, if you suddenly find, if you know, if these are the people that we house have no one quite often, and that's not always true. Um, sometimes we will have families ring up, um, parents that are getting older that have had a child with them that's maybe had schizophrenia for all of their life and they've been able to manage it in their own home. But as the child's getting, as the adult um, is much older and as they are ageing, there's... Uh, they just don't feel that they've got the capacity anymore to care for them and they're worried about what's going to happen. Um, we can have people from um, come from prison. We can have hospitals ring up um, needing 
accommodation quite often. There are some hospitals and some jails that will release people onto the street. Um, and when, you know, if you can imagine that you've got no phone, um, you've got a Centrelink payment, you know, when you sort of, you do, if you do find an internet cafe or something or have the capacity to search on your phone or ask someone, you know, a shared house who quite often when you Google it, you will see um, vacancies for professionals and students. And the, you know, the unwritten sentence is not people with a mental illness, not people that have drug addictions, not people that are straight out from prison. Um, They're, you know, they're the people that we house, as I said, some of them have got family, but there's a large proportion that um, have got no one. And it's hard to believe, you know, you are all sitting here and you are sitting next to someone that you could reach out to if suddenly you found yourself homeless um, for whatever reason. Where the people that we house through whatever stuff has happened, just find themselves completely bereft, walking the street with um, not one soul that is prepared to um, reach out. And um, it sounds like life in the home is quite colour, can be colourful at times. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. You've got, there's eight people plus the managers in that flat. You've got 29 people. We now got four houses, by the way, so we've got one single house with six women in it, and um, um, a vacancy for a female manager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, or I, I guess, sometimes I just think it's miraculous, really, that we manage the we manage, we just manage, um, with the complexities that the people come with, with their, um, with their backgrounds, with all the issues that they're with, there with, how can we still be surviving um, 36 years later? Um, how, um, how are there not more fights? How are there not more issues? How... Um, how are these people actually getting along? How how are they connecting? And um, every, every day there's something. This morning the text was um, that the manager had gone down to open the laundry and someone has got the whole hallways full of their belongings. I was there yesterday um, and the... Um, I'd spoken to the guy and he was pulling everything out because um, tomorrow there's fire inspections. But when I looked in his room, apart from the fact that everything was in the hallway, the room was still completely chockers, like stuff up to the ceiling. I'm thinking, how did that fit in there? And, um, yeah, we've got to sort that. That's, that's just a hoarding issue, so that's a, a common thing. But the reason I was around there was because the neighbour at the back... Um, had sent me a text to say, I've just heard um, someone say that if somebody doesn't effing stop digging, that they're going to effing break the shovel. Um, and he'd been up, he'd heard um, a lot of noise through the night. Um, yeah, we've just... It, 
that sort of stuff fortunately doesn't happen all the time, but there's always there's always something simmering, always something going on, and it's um, yeah, I don't know when I if I retire, life is going to be really dull. <laughs> retire out the back of here, maybe you just crave it. Yeah. Um, we a few weeks back, Rod was talking about kind of hospitality, but kind of the inverse of that of sometimes in caregiving roles and when you're a giver or able to offer things, the receiving hospitality and receiving care and and finding people that kind of deeply nourish you and hold you um, can be a little more challenging and not maybe the default position. Um, has there been any sort of spaces where hospitality has been offered to you, where you found the gift of others um, or life-giving places, or maybe? Um, yeah, I'm. As I said, I'm not someone that has lots of people around to tea. That was my husband's thing. So we would all, you know. Um, but there, were, there was after he. Uh, after he um, was killed, there was a woman who was a parent of one of my kids' friends and she promised um, to drop a meal around every Thursday for a year and she did that. Um, and it was she used to be a home economics teacher, so the meal was just really, really good and it was something that the kids and I were just every Thursday, you know, to get home from work and there's this... Um, all these Tupperware containers with all this fabulous food um, for a year, you know. That was the just the, the, the biggest blessing at, during that time. Um, in the role that I'm in now, and even back when Phil and I were managing it when the kids were small, um, we had people that had houses. Um, there was a, a person that had a block in the Grampians and they said, use it whenever you like. And we'd go off and um, every try every six to eight weeks just to have a weekend away from the place in this beautiful environment. Um, this time around, I've got a friend who's got a house in Anglesey and they're the same. So their, their, their point is, you know, I'm, they can't, do what I do, but they support in a, in a different way, and um, and and that you know that is just so needed just to have that break. But I need to say that um, here has been so valuable for me because there's been um, there's been you know it's it's there's been really tough there's tough times things happen. And sometimes, you you know, it's hard to keep going. But I find that um, even at, sometimes I don't even think it's hard to keep going. But when you come here and when the music, when the music plays and when the songs are sung, like even this morning, I just thought, you know, I just feel this thing in my heart where it's like, like this release. And, I th and it's both a, ref a release and I sort of reflect back and think of the week that's been. And it's like, oh, wow, that was a, there was some heavy stuff. But it's like there, there is a leading or something happens in the songs to make me, and even in the, in the, in the message that says it's the right thing to do 
and that I will be nourished and I am being nourished by being here and being part of this community. So for the musicians particularly that are in this room, um, you just don't know how much it, it, it means, you know, if I'm going like that down the back, you know, it frequently, um, it's just so important and key and nourishing. Um, and the people and just being here and the coffee, you know, it's really been, even if I don't show up all the time, you know, when you do, it's like, oh, yeah, fantastic. Um, is there ways that, um, just sort of thinking, I've got to keep, I don't want to keep you forever. I've, I'm curious, um, in kind of your big story and your, your life um, and your sense of God, um, has it changed? Like, has it changed where you sense how the divine is and moves and calls and draws you and is moving about your community here? Like, how how can you see that different? I guess you've got these two little markers of this same role almost. Has your sense of God or the spirit changed? Um, it has. It's probably too big a conversation for here. <laughs> yeah. So I won't necessarily go there but um, I, the, the, the passion to live in a um, um, to be fair and to be non-judgmental hasn't gone away that's really very um, very real um, and yeah um, Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to talk later. About no, it's a it's a question. I guess we yeah, no, for all of us, it's a question that I sit with all the time. That, of that's thinking right, about and how, it's about um, like does you know my yeah, I'm a different person to yeah. what I was, but um, I think love love is absolutely key to be able to you know God's love and express through us and that capacity to um, I've been thinking a lot about hope recently and. Because you might say to someone, oh, I hope you have a lovely day. But just by saying that doesn't necessarily mean that someone is going to be suddenly take that and have a lovely day. But um, I have a, a sense that um, we can be, by expressing love and expressing faith in people, that people can change. And I have seen it. And I've seen people change the people that come into our community, I have seen them change and their life gets better. And you, you think, what the heck was that about? How can this motley group of people with not particularly well-trained staff um, produce change in people where people pick up their lives and actually um, move ahead and look back and say thank you? Um, and I think it's because we have this faith in them and we hope for them and we believe we believe that they can be transformed and we believe it's love that does it. And I, I think that that has been with me and stayed with me because I keep seeing it. Yeah, I can hear that in your voice. Um, <clears throat> uh, is there anything, I guess, 
a question we can ask of how we can support you as a community who, you know, do life with you in a small way in your week. Is there ways that we can support you, know you, uh, you know, you're open to us asking you questions about how it's all been or helping the actual community? Um, maybe when I post things on Facebook asking for staff, because now we've got four houses, there's always relief workers ne work needed. There's always, um, you know, people come and live in the house for sort of three or four years, but then it's amazing how quickly that pops up. So if you see the message and you um, don't think, oh, roll your eyes, there's that woman again asking for more staff, if you wouldn't mind passing it on to people that you might think um, might be interested um, in working with us in one, one way, shape or form. Um, whether it's relief, we're always looking for... Um, yeah, just talk to me afterwards if you think you might be, want to be involved in some way. But for here, um, for me personally, just keep on doing what you're doing because you're all, all awesome and I know that um, you are, like, you, so many of you are so much younger than me and I just I just sort of take my hat off to you and think you've done so much with your life um, and you are also wise. Like, I just think, I wish I had the wisdom that you guys have got when I was your age. So just keep on doing um, what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, anything else you wanted to share with us? No. Um, Thank you. I, I appreciate hearing more about your life and how you do, but who you are, hearing a bit more about who you are and um, and we hope to keep you in our, you know, this this, mot this motley crew. We are also a motley crew <laughs> um, in our own way that we're kind of a, a web that are connected and for will be for in the coming years and we hope to, to love on, you know, to you as well, you know, as we see you. Um, I was wondering if we could, if anyone would like to come up and help, pray for uh, Amanda um, in herself, in her work. Um, Amanda has agreed to this, so it's not me doing a, a prayer attack. Um, but uh, if anyone would like to just um, come up and either, would someone like to pray for Amanda? Um, or I can pray for Amanda. And we'll put a hand. Yeah. Right, we might. Do you want us to stand up? Yeah, we'll <laughs> um, just to show our love um, as we go about our, our work and our, our life. Loving God, thank you for Amanda. Mm. Thank you for her vulnerability, mm. for sharing her story with us. Thank you for. The, the way that you have called her to such um, beautiful and generous work. Mm. Thank you for um, her incredible generosity to us as a community, to her, her kind and loving words to us and the way she demonstrates to us the same kind of love and faith and... Um, belief in us that she clearly shows to the people that are the residents in her homes and I thank you for what an incredible blessing it must be to them to have her and to have someone perhaps for the first time in their lives that genuinely believes in them and can genuinely show them love so 
strengthen her to keep doing the work that she's doing, give her the wisdom to, to, to stay in touch with her own limitations and to, to seek out refreshment and breaks when she needs them and bring people to support her in her work who have the same heart as Amanda and who have the same wisdom to know what they can give and what they can't give. Um, but yeah, we thank you for her presence in this community and the way hearing her story just makes us aware that there are so many beautiful stories and connections in this place, even when it seems like we're a small group on some weeks, um, we are so connected to lots of other trees under the ground. <laughs> um, I mean.